Hey there, welcome to the second episode of season two of Science and Society. I'm Drew, a med student and fitness junkie. And I'm Liv, a beauty queen turned biochemistry PhD candidate. We're two nerds on a mission to break down the science around us so you can apply it in your life. On today's episode, we're switching it up and freestyling a little bit. As lifelong students, we have been immersed in learning and studying and memory retention and hope you can apply our insights and the scientific community's current knowledge to your own life, whether you're in school or not. Let's get after it. All right, well, we kind of did some role switching and Drew ended up doing the research for this episode, so I'm really excited to learn quite a bit about Drew's findings when it comes to studying and how we can best retain the overload of information we're often given as students to our memory. You're right. Absolutely right. And I love that little prequel you put in there. So that way, if it goes well, yeah, you know, sure, you can give me a little bit of credit. But if it goes poorly, it's Drew's fault. It's all your fault. It's all my fault. (laughs) So when we talk about learning, memory, studying, anything like that, you can break down memory into a couple different buckets, if you will. You have your declarative memory, which is more things that you've learned and experienced. And then you have your non-declarative memory, which is more procedural types of learning, like learning how to ride a bike. So in your declarative memory, you have things like facts, world knowledge. It's, it's, it's acquired over the course of your life. That's a form of declarative memory. Another form is episodic, where we have lived experiences and fond memories, bad memories, things like that. Oh, so one of the best memories you've ever had is the memory of meeting me, right? Is that an example of episodic memory? Were you, were you queuing that one up? Were you, oh, were you absolutely. Like absolutely. For the record, yes, it was. Good, good. All right, so well then I'm going to steal the mic from you and talk about non-declarative memory. This is more so things that sit in the back of our heads, right? So procedural memory, um, you know, like you said, riding a bike, brushing your teeth in the morning, hopefully. And then we can further break that down, which is pretty cool too, into associative learning and non-associative learning. Associative learning is actually pretty self-explanatory. So it's basically when we're beginning to associate some sort of stimulus with either an emotional or a physical response. And non-associative learning, on the other hand, is more primitive and reflexive and habitual. So things that we don't even really have to think about, but it is part of memory. You're absolutely right. And the things we learn, whether they fall into any of these buckets, what we have to do in order to memorize them and be able to talk about them going forward is this thing called encoding, consolidation, and then retrieval. The more often you do that, the better your memory is going to be, the more vivid these memories will be, the easier time you'll have recalling them. And the goal essentially in learning is to convert these short-term memories into long-term memories. This is done through a part of your brain called the hippocampus. Long-term memory is essentially an accumulation of these short-term memories that have just strengthened over time. What this is called is Hebbian plasticity or more colloquially, neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more often you have these connections between two neurons, the stronger that connection is going to become. Kind of like with you and Tony. Hey, 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 Rick and Tony is, you would do it too. You do it too. Oh, absolutely. Anybody would. Absolutely. I'm just giving you a hard time. See, so, okay, non-associative learning. I think about Tony, I smile. I'm smiling right now. So 
that's an example of long-term memory. Look at that. Absolutely. That's an easy one to make. There's much more difficult ones that students or otherwise need to have in order to be able to recall, whether it's for an exam or for a presentation, for a meeting at work, whatever it is, you have to have sometimes presentations or facts just cold. You have to know them cold. Hopefully we can go through some stuff today that will help you get better at that. So we're thinking about encoding, consolidation, retrieval. Right. Right? That's the cycle. Cool. All right. Well, I'm so excited to learn more about this. So as it turns out, one of the best things we can do to enhance our memory formation is to reduce stress. Whether you're aware of it or not, stress around the time of learning, it's thought actually to enhance memory formation. However, it markedly impairs our ability to retrieve these memories. Yikes. Yeah, so there's this curve that I'm sure we've learned about in psych at one point in that the more pressure you have at something that you're good at, at the time of performance, you're going to do better. It's going to increase your performance. But with something like memory and on an exam where you, you might have your, your information down pat, but it's still a stressful time and you're not proficient at it. You're not like a pro at whatever this is. You're good, but not a pro necessarily. So that's actually going to impair your ability to retrieve these memories. Additionally, it's going to hamper your ability to update memories in light of new information. For example, when I was little, I thought chocolate milk came from brown cows. It does. Uh, Doesn't I it? I don't know about that. Oh, well. We'll see. If you were stressed just now, it would make it harder for you to realize that chocolate milk actually comes from normal cows. There's no such thing Man. as okay. brown cow chocolate milk. It just doesn't exist. <laughs> so stress is like being in a classroom, say, with a lot of kids. Big classroom, a teacher trying to teach 40 kids in high school or middle school or what have you that student can experience more stress, making it more difficult to learn and update new information and make new memories. That's actually really interesting because I feel like oftentimes when we need to recall memory, we are in a stress situation, right? I mean, it's either an exam or a presentation or, gosh, I'll be defending my thesis in a couple years. I can't imagine that that's going to be particularly relaxing to do. So... What have you done in your life to decrease stress on exam day? I think that's the best example. For the sake of of simplicity, we'll stick with exams being our, our example here. Because usually when we're needing to recall important information, it is an, a stressful environment, right? It's either an exam, a presentation, an important meeting at work, defending your PhD thesis. So let, let's, let's uh, garner up those skills. What, what do you do? What I like to start with is routine. You make test day or the day of your performance the same. Every time you do it, it's going to make you more comfortable in that in that environment. And that there's actually a you know, physiological mechanism behind that in that if you think something is stressful, it will then become stressful and your body will respond as such. So the more you can do to put yourself in a relaxed state of mind and try to perceive the situation as not being stressful, your body will respond. And it responds with cortisol. When you're stressed, cortisol is released, travels to the hypothalamus where that memory consolidation happens. That leads to a hormonal cascade that interferes with your ability to make memories. Also, 
moments of reduced stress just before or after learning may strengthen the memory. So what I like to do is study in a similar place where I'm gonna be taking the exam. In undergrad, often we would both study in Annenberg. It was our favorite building to study for chem or biology exams. Part of that was just, it was you know a nice space where we had some whiteboards to write out ideas and communicate and you know enhance our communication studying scientifically it also helped us because we took exams in rooms that look similar to where we were learning and consolidating these this new information we didn't even know it but we were helping ourselves i also think studying in that kind of environment was also just helpful from the standpoint that we made studying fun and i'm sure we'll kind of dig into other study habits and tips and tricks to make sure that you, our listener, can apply all the things that we talk about to your own studying. But just before we kind of go into the nitty gritty, I mean, I think back on our studying sessions and I, those are like positive memories for me. You know what I mean? I don't think about, gosh, how dreadful it was to study for chem or organic chemistry or bio. I just remember playing party in the USA at the end of each and every single session. I remember bringing tons of snacks. I remember falling asleep on tables. I remember drawing on whiteboards like a crazy person. But I look back and I smile, you know? And I feel like those are the classes that I really retained the most material, which is super important because that's the material I need to know now. And I feel like it wasn't even a matter of how much effort we were putting into studying. It was just that that was the class that we studied for scientifically the best, which is pretty cool. It is. And, you know, studies for science with science, which is, you know, so much science. A, a fun little paradigm. <laughs> but no, it was it was a fun experience. And making studying fun, again, reduces the stress, makes that memory formation easier to come by and easier for us. I'm actually in a mindfulness class right now once a week for an hour, I actually hop on a Zoom and there is a wellness instructor from the University of Chicago that goes through a couple different mindfulness practices and meditation skills and things like that, that you can use at really pretty much any point of the day just to decrease your stress levels. This was only week one, but we talked about belly breathing and something that I have really actually already found pretty helpful. What you do is, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. You, you sit up straight, It helps to put your hand on your belly and one hand on your chest and to make sure that your breath kind of comes from that lower hand, the hand that's on your stomach. And as you really try to slow down your breathing, it almost feels like you could fall asleep and you kind of fall into this really cool rhythm of breathing in and out really, really deeply. To be able to do that kind of in the middle of a stressful situation, even during an exam for 30 seconds, for 10 seconds, that might ultimately save you so much stress that you're actually really saving yourself time to just kind of take a second to bring down your heart rate, bring down your breathing, and kind of recenter yourself. So I don't know if that's one of the tips you officially have on our list, but I'm going to throw that out there as a little extra, a little bonus for you guys uh, before Drew takes it away with his supreme list of fun studying habits. You couldn't be more right. With the ability to slow down your breathing, it's going to, like we just touched on with the physiologic mechanism of, of cortisol release, And that's something that I didn't realize I was doing, but in many of our organic tests or biochemistry tests, I would look through the whole test when I got it first to kind of make a plan of attack in my head. But I think that also helped me bring my breathing down, my breath, my my heart rate down. But anyway, with respect to studying, it's 
definitely better to introduce some active studying where you're actively working and just not passively reading, glossing over the material, looking at it, because that's going to help you with your memory consolidation. And I, you know, I came up with a little list that I found and we're just going to go through it and talk about some of these. First tip, create a study guide by topic. Ooh, you are talking to the CEO of study guides. Trust me, her notes, most gorgeous notes you'll ever see. I have not seen a prettier set of organic chemistry notes that I'm pretty sure are still circulating around the sophomore class of Northwestern to this day. I know for sure that my freshman year chemistry notes have been made into a PDF and are on a Google Drive. So it's only a matter of time before the Orgo ones make it out there too. Urban legend. Urban legend, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, well, do you mind if I hop on this one and kind of take over? You are the, the CEO, I am of, the CEO. The, of the company, so I think you should take it. <laughs> so this is something that I found really, really helpful because working through textbooks was just not my thing. And I felt like if I wasn't really active in my note taking during class, I would just kind of sit there and type exactly what the professor was saying word for word. And there's so many studies that have come out about how written notes are just better for memory retention than typed notes anyway. But if you're just writing exactly what the professor is speaking out of his or her mouth, you're not really thinking about it as you're learning it. So for me, as I made my notes, I kind of organized them spatially on the paper and color-coded things because it made me reconceptualize and reorganize all the things being talked about in class in real time. So obviously this took a little bit of practice because it takes a little bit longer than just scribbling everything down. But I feel like I really learned how to pick out the important parts of a lecture and then when I got to studying, what I would do is take all those notes, that kind of first copy, and do the same exact thing with just my notes. So I would kind of reconceptualize, reorganize, reconnect some ideas, and really make them look nice because the process was so slow and I was really engaging with the material. When it came to exam time, I had already learned so much of it. Drew knows this, and anyone who knows my study habits and knew me in school, I barely studied. I really did not study a lot, and that's not a flex at all. I just took so much time in making my notes and making my study guides that when it came to exam time, I was like, okay, let's go. Like, I'm done. I've done my work. So I was really not studying much. And I think it helped kind of spread out that stress and spread out that work. Yeah, you'd really front load it, yeah, if you will. But no, the study guide by topic is a great, great tool because as you're learning the material, the professor or a teacher, whoever's giving the course they have an idea of the flow of the course and how all these concepts fit together. But while you are day-to-day -day learning it, you don't really understand that because you're still picking up the bits and pieces. Right. But if you take that second to synthesize on your own, you're gonna be able to see the flow better and see how concepts are grouped together. And I'm not sure if we'll get to it, but there's this idea of clumping and grouping in psychology. What that says and postulates is that if we can group things together, they become easier to memorize. Oh, absolutely. It's like phone numbers, right? You don't learn a phone number digit by digit. You learn the three chunks, right? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. You even kind of say it with that rhythm. And I think that's how we really learn things best. Absolutely. So number two, become a teacher. Say the information aloud, rewrite it, re-say it in your own words as if you're teaching the material to somebody else. Bonus points, actually grab your friends and actually try to teach them. I think this is one of my favorite tips, honestly. I, honestly, it's mine and my favorite as well because it gives you an opportunity to really synthesize what you've learned. And to make sure you actually know what you're talking about. 
I couldn't tell you how many times I've tried to do this with people I've studied with, including Olivia, and it just blew up in my face. I'd start a sentence and then it would just trail off because I didn't really know. I think that is kind of the ultimate form of mastery, right? If you can teach someone else the material, you really have shown and kind of proven to yourself that you know it. And I think it helps to work it in two different ways. First of all, to teach it to people who also are in that class and can kind of, you know, correct you or guide you or help you learn more. And then also to people who aren't in that class, right? Because they might not know what you're talking about, but that means you really, really have to know everything and to be able to teach them and to be able to get them to understand what you're talking about means you really need a good grasp of the material. So this was, I think, the biggest part of our studying sessions for chemistry and orgo. We were teaching each other. And then through that process, we kind of figured out what the gaps were. Yeah, I agree completely. Number three. Derive examples that relate to your own experiences. Okay, so this one's a little trickier for Orgo, but maybe you have some other class that you want to tie this back to? Sure, so say we can talk about history, for example. Say you're learning about, I don't know, World War I, and you make some context for America joining the war, like you joining in an argument between your friends at the water cooler about who has the cooler white Nike shoes. Seems silly, but the, even sometimes the sillier you can make these, oh, the easier yeah. it is to remember. Number four, create concept maps or diagrams that explain the material. Ah, uh, yes. And I think this relates to the first one a lot by creating a study guide by topic because we're synthesizing the individual points into groups and we're connecting those groups together and making essentially a web figuring out how the whole course and how what you've learned flows together. So I think those overlap pretty nicely. I like that one a lot. And I really think getting access to a big whiteboard and just dry erase markers was one of the best things that kind of changed in between my high school studying skills and my college studying skills. I mean, you've all seen those movies, right? Where the crazy scientist or the crazy mathematician is you know scribbling all over the walls and writing in this crazy chalkboard and filling up an entire room with all these symbols and numbers. But that's really such a great way to piece it all together. You know, you kind of take a step away and you look at your crazy wall of concept maps and flow charts and all this stuff and you really kind of look at it and you're like, oh, okay. You know, you see the big picture. And we finally understand how Channing Tatum felt in 22 Jump Street. <laughs> good joke, good joke. Thank you. Thank you. All right, next. Number five, develop symbols that represent concepts. I think this one relates to previous things we've talked about, but I'd like to add an additional piece of information in that there's this group of videos that I've been exposed to since med school started. It's called Sketchy. And what they do is for a set of drugs or bacteria, they draw out like a sketch and it could be a scene. It's just random of whatever. And all of these different symbols on this sketch tie back to a quality about the drug or infectious disease and I think that really helped me at least group a lot of and learn a lot of these things because otherwise there's all these overlapping symptoms and what have you it makes it tough so having those symbols can really be helpful I think it could be kind of tricky to come up with those on your own but once you get in the practice of trying to visualize your learning I think it, it's something that really is helpful. And obviously not everybody is a visual learner, 
But I think learning is also different than studying, right? I think the more layers we have as we study and the more layers we add to our attempts to commit things to memory, the better we do, right? So maybe you aren't a visual learner. Maybe you learn best by by listening. Maybe you're an auditory learner. Maybe you're someone who has to do something to learn it. That totally makes sense. That's kind of like that first run through. But as you study, I think anyone would benefit from any of these skills. Right. And I think you're highlighting the very real difference between that first initial memorization and then the synthesis. Absolutely. Moving on, number six, for non-technical classes, think English, history, psychology, even figure out the big ideas you can explain, contrast, and reevaluate them. Again, this is kind of parroting what we said earlier. So we'll just go on to number seven. For technical classes, work the problems and explain the steps and why they work. This was key, I think, because sometimes as you sit in class, everything totally makes sense, right? You, you know, you're not in your head, you're really getting the pieces and you go back and you look at your notes a week later. Sometimes not even a week later, sometimes a day later. And you can't put those things together. I think that also comes back to really making sure your notes are giving the class due justice. I have tried the whole draw on the PowerPoint for my notes idea. Totally didn't work for me. I didn't encode any of that class. I had such a hard time when I got to studying. And I couldn't apply any big concepts that were brought up in the lecture onto even simple problems. Because I just hadn't really thought about what was being taught in class. So I think this one's really, really helpful. And I think that comes back to the concept of spaced repetition as well. Being able to see something once, see it again shortly thereafter, and then maybe a week later, and then maybe a month before, uh, later right before the test. And that helps with memory retention. Moving on to number eight, study in terms of question, evidence, and conclusion. What is the question posed by the professor? What is the evidence that they present? And what is the conclusion? In the truest form of the term scientific method, this is what this is. Oh, absolutely. And this is something that's super applicable to a broad variety of classes, right? Really just kind of getting at why are we learning this material? What is the material? And what can we actually do with it? What's the point? Because sometimes I think we miss the big point of the things we learn. And that also is just as important as the details. And I think it's something that we as students have evolved over the course of our learning in middle school, high school, early on in your education, you're always thinking like, all right, why do I have to take a derivative? Like, why do I have to learn how to do that? And then you get to college and you do chem, biochem, physics, and you learn why the concept of learning how to take a derivative is important, essentially. Yeah. So it's things like that. And a lot of the times it just takes time to like learn more difficult and higher level things. So this is something that if you struggle with it now, maybe this question, evidence, conclusion, it's a skill that we all grow with. Absolutely. And I think now that so many people are kind of struggling with the reality of online learning, hopefully these are all things that people can really use to change the way they look at studying and hopefully improve upon the weird situation that we're all in and kind of still dealing with. I know I myself have definitely had to adjust my studying now that my classes are online. And like I said, I tried the PowerPoint thing and it didn't work. And I'm back to the more classic paper and pen style notes. I am doing it on my iPad, but 
the the way I'm writing them and the way I'm thinking about them as I do my notes is still the same as what I was doing in undergrad and I always felt like that was so much more successful so hopefully this was helpful to all the people who are in the same boat as us and sitting on zoom all day I hope so zoom has thrown a wrench in my ability to learn I've never tinkered so much with my studying and learning than I have over the past couple months so hopefully you all can find this very useful but that is all for this week's episode you can follow us on Instagram at Science and Society to catch our new releases, upcoming topics, and our science shenanigans. And if you're enjoying our show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find Science and Society. We release new shows every other Monday, so episode three is coming your way on February 8th. Peace, love, and science.